idea yeah. how fortunate you are. Uh, when I was at school, I went to Corian Inst. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Corian Inst. We had toothpaste blazers. Maybe that'll give the clue away. I was one of two Christians in my year, and I found it incredibly difficult to be bold for Jesus. And tonight, that's what we're going to think about. We're going to think about what it means to be bold for Jesus. And so far as I'm aware, you've been in the book of Acts at CE. And two weeks ago, I was told you were in Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John have healed a lame man. And tonight we're going to pick up pick up in Acts chapter 4. I don't know if it's on the screen. You want to turn to your Bibles or your phones, or on the screen behind you, behind me. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to, to start at verse 23. And as you make your way there, let me tell you what's happened already in this chapter. So where you left in chapter 3, Peter and John have healed a, a lame beggar. The crowd go crazy at what has just happened and they follow them. They're excited about their teaching and they give their lives to Jesus. But all of a sudden, Peter and John get themselves into a little bit of trouble with a group called the Sadducees. You see, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And that's exactly what Peter and John were teaching. That Jesus has risen from the dead and that there is a resurrection for us. And they couldn't have it. They wouldn't have it. So they arrest Peter and John. They hold them overnight. And then they put them on trial. And they charge them not to speak about Jesus anymore. This is Peter and John's response. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Well, can I encourage you to keep your phones open and your Bibles open, and as we turn to God's word, let, let's pray together. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Acts. And we thank you for the many lessons that it contains for us today. And Father, this evening as we are at different ages and different stages of life, we thank you that your word speaks to each of us. We ask that you would take the complex truths of your word and make them simple and easy for us to understand by the power of your spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ravensbrück, a name that may not be that familiar to any of you. 
But yet, if I were to say the name Corey Ten Boom, some of you might know who I'm talking about. Corey Ten Boom was a watchmaker's daughter from the Netherlands. And during the Second World War, Corey, along with her family, sheltered hundreds of Jews from the Nazis. Eventually, their home was raided, and Corey, along with her elder sister Betsy, were marched off to a concentration camp by the name of Ravensbrück. Corey and her sister Betsy were housed in Barracks 28, a building that was designed to hold 400 women held 1,400 women, with more arriving weekly. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corey recalls surveying the lack of beds, the awful smell that came from the lack of plumbing, and as she entered into her little living, living area, something pinched her leg. It was fleas. The place was swarming with them, and with frustration, Corey wheeled, Betsy, how can we live in such a place? She was high. She was high, were the words that came from Betsy's mouth. But they were not directed at Coring, but a prayer to God. Then Betsy turned to Corey. He's given us the answer. She then urged Corey to turn to their Bible and their Bible reading from that morning using the Bible that they had smuggled in. Corey read from First Thessalonians their Bible reading from that morning. It reads, Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. And so they began to thank God in prayer for the, the dingy, crowded rooms. And then Betsy prayed, Thank you for the fleets. Before Corey interrupted, Betsy, there is no way even God can make me thankful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances. Betsy quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of this place where God has put us. It was in that environment where these two sisters held two worship services every single day for the woman. Despite being under rigid supervision from guards with up to six being present all the time. And yet, in the large room where they held their worship services... There was almost no supervision. And they could not understand it. That was until one day it all made sense. Betsy, who was now part of the knitting brigade due to her deteriorating health, told Corey how she had observed a row amongst the knitting brigade that day. And they asked one of the supervisors to come in and settle it. But she wouldn't. Betsy recalled. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Because of the fleas. That's what the guard said. That place is crawling with fleas. And Corey says that her mind rushed back to their first hour in that place. With Betsy's bound head 
thanking God for creatures that Corey could see no use for. And whether it be Ravensbrück, Jerusalem, or Portadown, whether it be persecution, or painful, or seemingly insignificant situations, we can be bold to share the gospel, because our God is with us, and he reigns over all of creation, especially situations that we can see no use for. And that is what gives these early Christians such boldness as they are threatened by their first wave of persecution. Peter and John had just healed a lame man. But what gets them into trouble is not the healing, but their declaration of the resurrection of Jesus. They are arrested and charged not to speak of Jesus again. But then as we read, they are reunited with their friends or the church and they join together in prayer. And from that prayer, we learn what enables us to be bold for Jesus. It is not a case of a pep talk or motivational music. But as this prayer reveals to us, it is grounded in our understanding that our God reigns and resides in his people. Let's consider the first one together. Our God reigns. Having been released from custody, Peter and John hurry back to their friends where they moaned. No. They reported everything. And then together they lifted their voices to God. They prayed. But it is a prayer of praise. Now why can this church praise God after what has happened? Well it is because they have a deep understanding of who our God is. Verse 24 they pray. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What enables them to praise God is their deep understanding that our God reigns. He is the one who made heaven and earth and everything in them. This whole cosmos was created by our God. And rather than plugging batteries into it and then letting it run its its course, our God is sovereign meaning that he holds absolute control over all of his creation. And all of creation is being orchestrated by him towards his purpose. The Bible often uses the the image of God holding the whole world in his hand. And that means that God is in control of both fleas and authorities, as in the case of Peter and John. Notice that their prayer doesn't start with the heaviness of their situation. In fact, it's barely mentioned. Rather, their prayer is focused on who our God is. And you see, that is why it is so important that we delve deeper and deeper into who our God is. So often I hear people say, Oh, I don't really need to to bother with any of that deeper theology stuff. I I just like to keep my faith simple. I'm sure you've met those people, or perhaps that is you here this evening. But I think that's a very dangerous attitude to have. Can you imagine that being the attitude of this early church? We just want to keep things simple here. None of that God being sovereign in this church. Well, that would have been absolutely catastrophic as they face their first wave of persecution. 
but because they are grounded in the knowledge that our God reigns, it enables them to view their very difficult situation through a very different light. Because they know that our God is using it for good. And what is more, look, look at the example they give of God's sovereign reign. It is the death of Jesus. And, and this knowledge that God reigns over the death of his son is rooted in Scripture. If you look down at their prayer again, verse 25, they refer to how God spoke through David, saying, Why did the Gentiles rave? And the peoples plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. Now some of you may know that this quotation in their prayer comes from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 mentions how the, the nations plotted against God's anointed one. Now initially this psalm speaks of how the nations plotted against the, the Davidic king. But like all the psalms, it points forward to the ultimate king of David's land, Jesus, God's anointed. And it was against him that the nations raged. And that is what this early church pray in verse 27, that on a human level, that all they could see was the nations raging against Jesus. In this city that they pray, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles and the people of Israel all conspired against Jesus to crucify him and do away with him. That's what we see on the human level. It appears that the nations are gaining the upper hand. But just as it was with the fleas, there is so much more to this than we as humans can see. Because Psalm 2 that they have quoted may seem to focus on the wickedness of the nations when in fact its primary focus is about the God who reigns. In fact, Psalm 2 reminds us that as the nations plot, God scoffs, he laughs, because all their plotting is in vain. And that is exactly what has occurred in the death of his son Jesus. Because although the nations plotted and did their worst, verse 28, they were doing whatever God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. Now let me just pause there for a moment. As the nations plotted against Jesus, there was a deeper plan behind it all. Before Jesus had ever set foot on this earth, the God who reigns had decided that he would use the wickedness of Herod and Pontius Pilate to bring ultimate good. On the cross it looked like defeat, hopelessness and utter darkness, when in fact it was the ultimate victory over sin and the ultimate sign that our God reigns over every single element of his creation. And just like these early Christians, when we are surrounded by evil and pain and situations that don't make sense, we must look to the cross of Jesus, where we are reminded that God uses the worst that this world has to offer for good beyond our imagination. But how does God work good in the midst of their pain in chapter 4? Well, look back to chapter 4 and verse 4. It probably won't be on the screen. 
but you will see that the number that believed has now risen to over 5,000 people. And that is why they praise their sovereign God. Because yet again, he has worked good from evil. And that is what gives these early Christians confidence. Although they are persecuted, they know that nothing in this world takes place outside of the reign of our Father in heaven. Even the death of his son, Jesus. As one of my favourite hymns reminds me, this is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems often so strong, God is the ruler yet. And it gives us great confidence that although we may be in the minority in the classroom, the sports pit, the sports pitch, or the workplace, that although this world is tough and bruising, this is our Father's world. He reigned. And when we understand that, we can echo the end of their prayer in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Or let me make that verse simpler if I may. It is as if they pray, God, we trust that you reign. We entrust you with their threats. You look after their threats. All we ask is that you will enable us to continue to speak your word for your glory. Boldness comes from the security that there is in knowing that our God reigns. But that's not all we learn from their prayer. We also learn that God resides in us. Look at how God responds to their prayer. Verse 31. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. There is a sign that that God is present. But God is not simply present in that building. Look again at verse 31. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. God has come and made his home not in the building, but in the lives of his disciples. And this is not the first occurrence where the Holy Spirit falls on these early Christians. But it is a response to their prayer, a reminder from God that he has come and made his home in them. He resides in them. No matter where they go or whatever they face. And why has he come to reside in them again? Verse 31. So that they may continue to speak the word of God with boldness. He has come to live in them so that they might declare his truth, his gospel, with courage and boldness. And we can get all kinds of funny ideas when we think about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But we don't need to wonder because we see him in action in chapter 4. If we trace our steps back to chapter 4 and verse 8, as Peter is just about to be cross-examined by the so-called jury of the Sanhedrin, verse 8, he is filled with the Holy Spirit and testifies that salvation is found in no other name 
than Jesus. Peter is bold. He could easily shrink away. He's just been arrested. In fact, he has a history of shrinking away. But as Jesus promised in Mark 13, Peter does not need to worry about what to say. Because it is not Peter who speaks, but the Holy Spirit through him. And notice how the crowd respond in chapter 4 and verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They noticed that they were uneducated, common men. They basically look upon them as idiots. And isn't that how our world views Christians today? You're a Christian. Idiots. But yet in chapter 4, they are astonished at what they've just heard. Why? Verse 13. Because all the crowd that were there recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. And that is the key to sharing the gospel. It is having people recognize that we have been with Jesus. But here's the truth that changes everything. One author helpfully puts it like this. What the Sanhedrin did not perhaps understand was that the apostles were still companions of Jesus. They were indwelt with the Holy Spirit and with Christ. And that is exactly the reason we are given for their boldness in chapter 4. It is because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has given Peter courage and he speaks words that no idiot should speak. He is filled with intelligence beyond what is normal. And amazingly, it is not only true of Peter and John, but Jesus is still with us as Christians here this evening. To be filled with the, the Holy Spirit is to be filled with, in the words of Romans 8, the Spirit of Christ. What we have to understand is that the Holy Spirit, who was involved in creation, who was the key protagonist in the, in the conception of Jesus, who lived in Jesus throughout his earthly life, and who raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of Christ is the very same Holy Spirit who lives in you and in me. In fact, as Jesus prepared for the cross, he promises that his disciples the Holy Spirit by putting it like this. He said that he and his Father would come and make their home in them. He was going to reside in them. And that is what enables us to be bored. Because just like Peter, when we are interrogated or put on the spot in school and treated like idiots, we're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. He is giving us courage, reminding us that God reigns, and he is giving us the words to say. Some of Jesus' last words to his disciples were, And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the year. God who reigns the whole universe comes and makes his home not only in the hearts of these early Christians 
but in our hearts this very evening. Giving us extraordinary power to speak his word that this world cannot withstand. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Despite our weaknesses and our fears, the one who dwells in us is greater than all and reigns in all. For greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. And so how does all of this help us to be bold for Jesus? Well, it helps us to see our whole world through a very different lens. That whether you are the only Christian in your class, sports team, workplace, wherever, that whether you face constant sly remarks about being a Christian, those times when we have to stand against what is cool and trendy in our world, the friends that we have that we would just love to become a Christian, but yet we just don't see how. They're the last person we expect. Or maybe there has been a situation in your life or currently that has caused deep pain and many tears and you simply see no use for it. But whether it be these things or whether it be the fleas in Ravensbrück, a cross outside Jerusalem, a court hearing with Caiaphas, or whatever we face here in Northern Ireland, we can be bold to share the gospel because our God reigns and he resides in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this is your world. We thank you that you are in control of situations that we can see no use for. We thank you for the death of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And thank you that as we meet with him, our lives are changed forever. Lord, we ask that you would give us boldness to share your gospel and help us to know that you are always with us. You promise to never leave nor forsake us. So we ask that you'd help us to be bold for you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.